0: All right, Acts chapter 5. Before we get into this chapter tonight, I was sharing with you that this chapter really reveals to us that God wants His people to learn to live and to serve and to minister even when the conditions aren't right. Because in a sense, the conditions are never going to be just right. So we just need to do what we know God has called us to do. In fact, there's a verse in the book of Ecclesiastes I'd like to share with you that shares that same principle. Solomon writes, He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who observes the clouds will not reap. In other words, taking, taken from even agriculture, he's like, you know, if the farmers were out there and they looked for the perfect conditions to do this or that, they'd never get any crops. They'd never get anything done. Sometimes you just have to go out there and you have to plant the seed and you have to sow and you have to reap. Not in always the prime conditions. And God wants His people to learn to do that as well. That's why He placed His church, His people, in a hostile environment. Not in an environment that would be welcoming and friendly all the time to the church. Because there were purposes for that. And we saw what those purposes were back in Acts chapter 4 last week. So when we come to Acts chapter 5 tonight, we see that not only is the church facing pressure and stuff from outside, from the world, but now we're seeing that they're having to deal with trouble from within the church itself. And that's what we're going to see tonight as well. You remember last week we ended with this gift being given by a man by the name of Barnabas. And just like a lot of Christians, they would they would make sure that the needs within the body were met, and when a, a need came up, one of them would make sure that that, that was taken care of. And so I, I wanted to go back to that, because I think that sets up for us what we see happening here in the early verses of chapter 5. By the way, tonight... I'm going to give you 14 words all ending with T-I-O-N that sort of again summarize our flow through this great chapter in Acts chapter 5 just so that you have some words to sort of link in with what is happening here. Now the first word I want to give us tonight is the word motivation. And the reason I want to share that is because what we see here at the beginning of Acts chapter 5 really does speak to our motives and not only what we do for God, but why we do it, you see. Notice what Luke writes. He says, Now a man named Ananias, together with Sapphira, his wife, sold a piece of property. He kept back for himself part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge he brought only part of it and placed it at the apostles' feet. Now again, I think that, you know, people were being encouraged to do that, but I also think from what we know now of Ananias and Sapphira that they probably saw the the accolades if you will that were given to Barnabas after he, you know, brought his proceeds and laid them at the apostles' feet. It's like they wanted that attention. That they wanted that praise of men. And and I think, again, it's just a reminder to us that we not only have to check what we're doing, but we have to continually check why we're doing what we're doing. Are we doing it for the glory of God alone? Are we doing it for just praise from God? Or are we doing it to be noticed by others? Are we doing it for the praise of men? And that's where Ananias and Sapphira got caught up in this. Um, they were taking the good things that were happening within the body of Christ, and yet now we see again that there was not only the church having to deal with trouble from outside the church, now they were having to start to deal with things going on inside the church. See, even the early church obviously was far from perfect because it was... People, and and you know, so where there's people, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be issues, there's going to be things to work through with that. By the way, silly, but um, can anybody take a wild guess as to what Ananias's wife's name means in the Greek language? Come on now, it's not too hard. Sapphire, there you go. There you go. I know. I'm I'm thinking, I know. I'm like, I thought that would be like an easy one, you know? All right. So motivation. Okay. Now the next word I want to give you is the word contamination. Okay. Contamination. Why? Because Peter, and we're going to come back to this whole thing here, but Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the sale of the land. Before it was sold, did it not belong to you? And when it was sold, was not the money at your disposal? How have you thought up this deed in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. The heart is the wellspring of our life out of which everything else flows. And that's why the Bible teaches us to guard our heart. And when Peter is, is sort of chastising Ananias that Satan has filled your heart, that, that the implication is, is here that, that what, how this all got started was, if you will, the water of, of Ananias and Sapphira's heart had become contaminated. And it was out of that contaminated heart that this deed really came about. And so it reminds us, this story in Acts chapter 5, that not only do we need to watch our motives, our motivation for why we do what we do, but we need to to seriously take the, uh, the advice, the counsel of the Word of God, and make sure that our heart is always being cleansed and not being contaminated, because it's out of the heart, it's the seat, it's the center of our passions, of our emotions, of our drives, of our desires, of everything. All of our choices is going to start at the heart level. And so we've got to make sure that our heart is not contaminated. And the Bible teaches that the way we do that is through the cleansing of the Word of God. Over and over again, Psalm 119 talks about uh, us being clean through the Word of God. Jesus talked about the fact that the Word that I have spoken to you has cleansed you. And then even over in Ephesians, Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the washing of the water by the Word that brings out sanctification and cleansing. So one of the main ways that you and I can keep our heart uncontaminated, is by continually cleansing it with the Word of God. So first, even before we get into chapter 5, I want to talk about motives, because even though motives really aren't maybe specifically addressed here, you, you see it because of why they did what they did. And then you see when Peter references the heart twice, In this chapter here early on, it is a reminder again to us about the contamination that can take place. But you'll also notice this in the first four verses. Next word, misrepresentation. That's what Ananias and Sapphira did. So you remember Peter said to, to even Ananias, he said, look, this was your land, When you sold it, you could have done anything you wanted to. You could have kept back part of it for yourself. That wasn't the issue. If they would have sold the land and kept back a part for themselves and then brought the rest and said, look, this isn't all the proceeds from the sale of our land. This is just part of it. There would have been no issue. The issue is they were deceptive. The issue is that they wanted the church, they wanted their fellow believers to believe that everything that they were bringing was the total sale of the land, see? That they had not kept back a part for themselves. And so they were misrepresenting what was really happening here. And that was the sin. Deceiving. That's why Peter says to them, you have lied To the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit was within the church. So he's saying in a sense, you've lied to your brothers and sisters in Christ because you came across as if, you know, you've made this great, you know, thing and you've made these great sacrifices, but it's, it's not what it appears to be. We have to be careful that we are transparent And that what we project to others is reality. That we don't get into that playing of games and and putting out a front of spirituality or whatever that really cannot be backed up by reality. It all goes back to that misrepresentation that was happening here. Again, like I said, Peter said in verse 4, before you sold it, it belonged to you. When it was sold, was not the money at your disposal. In other words, you had the power of choice to do with this whatever you wanted to. That's not the issue. The issue is you made it look like it was the total total sale. And it was just a part. You kept back a part for yourself. So we see here motivation, contamination, misrepresentation. Now, what happens next seems to, you know, obviously shock a lot of Christians even. Because it seems pretty radical the way God is going to deal here with Ananias and Sapphira. But there's a couple reasons why. First of all, and the next word that we're going to use here is the word purification. The church is just getting started in their witness in the world. And it is very important that the church, right at the very beginning, from God even, to say, this this is wrong, and this is how I'm going to deal with it. It was like God was sending a very strong, clear message to the church, and even to those who were watching the church, that at this point, I I will not tolerate this. Now, obviously, God doesn't just strike people dead Christians even today, who may every once in a while misrepresent. But the reason it was done when it was done was because it was very vital for the growth of the church and to get going on the right foot that this not come in and and basically contaminate the entire church. The same concept was found in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua with Achan. Same concept. He held back something there, and he hid it in his tent. And so we see the same thing happening now in the early church. And God was going to purify his church, because if the church is not purified, if the church is not remaining purified, then there is no power. The power of our lives, the power of the church comes through God's church being pure. The influence that we will have in this world comes through the church being pure. And that's why God calls His people to holiness. That's why His God calls His people to obedience. That's why God wants His people to be cleansed through the water of the Word. Because our witness will be diminished if we do not maintain our purity. And that's why what happens here next happens. He says, when Ananias heard these words, he collapsed and died. These words do not speak of some natural phenomenon or whatever, like a heart attack. This speaks of the judgment of God. He dropped dead because God judged him there. And notice, great fear gripped all who heard about it. So the young men came, wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him because just as it is today, Jews don't waste any time in burying their dead. So then, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. She did not know what had happened. And Peter says to her, he gives her a chance to come clean. And basically say, you know, admit, confess, this is what really happened. He says, tell me, were the two of you paid this amount for the land? Sapphira said, yes, that much. And Peter then told her, why have you agreed together? Why have you made a pact together as a married couple to test, to challenge the Spirit of the Lord? Look. The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And again, the judgment of God came. At once she collapsed at his feet and died. So when the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And again, great fear gripped the whole church and all who heard about these things. They were realizing that being part of God's people Being part of the church is not something to be taken casually like many Christians do today. It is serious business. It is not just a great privilege. It is great responsibility. We are representatives of Christ before the world. And God says, if you're going to be My people and you're going to carry the name of My Son with you, and you're going to call yourself a Christian, then realize the great responsibility that you carry with that name. God's reputation, God's honor, is on the line by the way His people live out there in the world. And that's why He wanted to send a message to the church that being part of His people Again, is a wonderful thing, but it's not something to be taken casually. Being a follower of Christ is not something to be done in a flippant manner. It is serious business. Notice, because though of the purification and 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 the church taking sin seriously, the admiration that came from others verse 12 the admiration now many miraculous signs and wonders came about among the people through the hands of the apostles again why was God working because the people were purified they they were serious about what was happening and God was at work and it says by common consent they were all meeting together in Solomon's portico And notice what it says in verse 13. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high honor. It means to esteem highly. But I want to take you back to that phrase, none of the rest dared to join them. It was like, whoa. We just saw two people who are part of the church just drop dead. Again, being part of God's church is not something to mess with. It's not something to take casually or flippantly. And even people who weren't Christians were like, I don't know. I'm realizing the gravity here of what it means to be called a Christian and to join the church. Now, Now think about it. How much has that perspective, that attitude, deteriorated in the last couple thousand years? People don't, take seriously being part of the church. They they don't take seriously being a Christian and carrying the name of Christ out there every day. It's become a very, again, casual Christianity. And I think that that's part of why we don't even see the church in general being admired and held in high esteem by those who aren't even Christians. Because what they see is that that for many, there's a lack, a real lack of, of commitment and devotion to something that many Christians say is very important to them, but then they look at the way we live, and they go, really? I, I don't see it. I don't see that your faith is really making that much. You don't seem to be much different than me in your attitude and in your perspective and all of that. And see, I I think that what Acts 5 is teaching us is, is when we do things God's way, that even those that might not be Christians, there will be respect for our faith and a respect for us. They may not... They might not join our church. They might not ever become a Christian. But there will be a respect there, just as there was in the early days of the church. Notice another word here, expectation. Because God was at work and because the people were serious about their faith, they came always with an expectation that God was going to do great things. They just came with that. Notice what it says. More and more believers in the Lord, verse 14, were added to their number. Crowds of both men and women. And thus they even carried the sick out into the streets, put them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow would fall on some of them. A crowd of people from the towns around Jerusalem also came together, bringing the sick and those troubled by unclean spirits. And they were all being healed. But this all came about because the people had an expectation that God was going to work. God was going to show up. God was going to move through the the lives of His people. And things were going to happen. Oh, that we would have that kind of expectation today. That when Christians would say come together on Sundays and Tuesdays and and whenever we would get together that we would come with a sense of expectation that God, you are here, you reign. We sang about that and you're in control and, and you rule and you're here with your people and so we are expecting you, God, to do something. And then we see indignation. As we talked about last week, whenever God is working and God is moving, there will be opposition. There will be pushback. And we see it again here in verse 17. The high priest rose up and all those with him, that is the religious party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. An envious, contentious rivalry. For them... They looked at the apostles of Jesus Christ as the competition. They were taking people away from them. And they were envious, and they were jealous, and they were filled with indignation. This cannot happen. We are losing our influence. We're no longer the power brokers and the movers and shakers amongst the religious elite of Israel. These guys over here and these gals who are followers of Jesus Christ are taking some attention away from us. And we don't like it. And so the Bible says in verse 18, they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door of the prison, led them out and said, go stand in the temple courts and proclaim to the people all the words of this life. Next word, intervention. Notice, God intervened here. We always have to remember as God's people that God can intervene in any situation at any time. Because He is the Lord. And even though man had put the apostles in prison, God was going to have the last word here. He was going to intervene. Which leads to the next word, continuation. Because notice what the angel tells the apostles to do. He doesn't tell them, now guys, I sprung you out of jail, now get out of town. Get as far away from here as you can. Is that what the angel says? No. He says, I want you to go right back to the very center of Jerusalem, right at the temple, and I want you to start preaching again. Start telling people about the life that is in Jesus Christ. They didn't run away. They went right back and they continued to do what God had called them to do. Sometimes we just need a little encouragement to just continue to do what we're doing. We can get weary in well-doing. We can get discouraged. But there's times where God says, just like He says to me, Jeff, just get back in there and continue to do what I've asked you to do. And that's exactly what we see here in Acts chapter 5. Then notice, I love this story. It's actually pretty humorous. It says, When they heard this, verse 21, they entered the temple courts at daybreak and began teaching. Now, when the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they summoned the Sanhedrin, that is the whole high council of the Israelites, and sent to the jail to have the apostles brought before them. But the officers who came for them did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the jail locked securely. It was certainly locked. And the guards were standing at the doors. But when we opened them, there was nobody inside. And when the commander of the temple guard and the chief priest heard the report, they were greatly puzzled. In the original language, it means they were entirely at a loss. They, They had no explanation. They could not figure it out. Wondering how this could be. But someone came, verse 25, and reported to them, Look, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple courts and teaching the people. Then the commander of the temple guard went with the officers and brought the apostles with, without the use of force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And then look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Next word, saturation. The early church... Literally saturated the city of Jerusalem with the Word of God. I would love for that to happen. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons why we do the podcast. Is any way that I can get the Word of God out to people, the more we can get the Word of God out from our church and our lives to others, the better. It doesn't mean everybody's going to positively respond to it, but they certainly aren't going to have a chance at all without the Word of God. And that's why the apostles made it a goal of theirs to fill Jerusalem with their teaching. To saturate the city with the Word of God. I just keep asking God, God, give us other ways that we can get your Word out so that more people can hear your word, and be, and be changed by your word, and be encouraged by your word, and be refreshed by your word. People need the word of God. And we see the saturation that took place. So the Bible says that they said, look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than the people. The God of our forefathers raised up Jesus, whom you seized and killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses of these events. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Next word, conviction. Look at verse 33. When they heard this, they became furious and wanted to execute them. The word furious here in the original language literally means to be sawn or cut in two. That's conviction. Doesn't that remind you of the verse in Hebrews that describes the Word of God? That the Word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a divider and a discerner of men's hearts? That's exactly what was happening here. Peter and others were using the Word of God. They had saturated Jerusalem with the Word. They had spoken the Word even to the religious leaders of Israel. And they were becoming convicted. And instead of, instead of repenting, and instead of being willing to change, they wanted to kill Him. Because it cut them right into. It, it, it got through all the, the muck and got right to the heart of the issue. That's what the Word of God does. That's why many people today won't come to the Word of God. That's why many people today won't come to a church that teaches the Word of God. Because they don't want to be convicted. They don't want to change. They want to remain who they are and what they are and they don't want God to speak into their lives. Spiritual people like you are willing to place yourselves under the Word of God and say, God, You do in my life what needs to be done. That is the mark of a biblically spiritual person. Not one who avoids the Word of God, even if it's something I need to hear and may not want to hear. The spiritual people will always allow the Word of God to do that work in spite of the conviction. Notice then, a Pharisee whose name was Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, verse 34, who was respected by all the people, stood up in the council and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. Then he said to the council, men of Israel, pay close attention to what you're about to do to these men. Next word, and I've only got a couple left, moderation. Jamaliel is a voice of moderation. He, he's saying to the council, don't rush in to anything. Don't make a decision out of your emotion. In fact, the words pay close attention literally mean to devote careful thought and effort to something. In fact, it was a word that was used in Paul's day or in Bible times of of someone navigating a ship through rough waters. It's always good wisdom, good counsel for us as Christians to make sure before we make decisions especially decisions that have some gravity to them, that we would take the advice here of devoting careful thought and effort before we rush into something. That we may be in our life in a place where we are navigating a ship through rough waters and it's very important how we turn and where we turn in order to land that ship safely and without too much damage on the shore and so we've just got to take a step back every once in a while and not allow our emotions to primarily drive us but to give careful thought and effort obviously pray about it seek wisdom seek maybe godly counsel from a few people that you trust whatever but good advice here by this man and because of his influence the religious leaders of Israel backed off. They listened to him. It says in verse 39, or one of the things he says here, I'll, I'll go to verse 38. He says, so in this case, I say to you, stay away from these men. Just withdraw yourself from them and leave them alone. Let go of them. Because if this plan or this undertaking originates with people, it will come to nothing. It will fizzle out on its own. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop them. Or you may be found fighting against God. So the Bible says He convinced them. The next to last word tonight, reiteration. Why do I use that word here? Because... What Gamaliel just said there in those verses just is a repetition. It repeats what we saw happen earlier in the chapter when the apostles were released from prison by the angel. See, God is using these in the same chapter to, and again, sort of reiterate a principle here. You threw my people in prison... I didn't want them there now, so I'm sending an angel, I'm getting them out. You can't stop them if I don't want them to be stopped yet. So Gamaliel comes over and now basically is saying the same thing that reinforces what they already knew happened. We tried to put these guys in prison. We tried to shut them up. God may be behind it. Can we really fight against God? And then finally here, in the last couple verses of this chapter, we see the determination of the early church. And I hope to encourage you and leave you with this tonight. Notice it says, after he convinced them in verse 40, and they summoned the apostles and had them beaten. By the way, the word means thrashed, (laughs) skinned. This was no minor, like a slap on the wrist and go back out. People died from these 39 lashes. So when we read that, we have to, start to go, "Wow, you know, they, they took quite a thrashing from the authorities. Then it says, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. Now this blows me away. They left the council rejoicing. Would I be rejoicing after getting thrashed? And here's why they were rejoicing. Don't miss this. They were rejoicing because they had been considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. Wow. God, thank you that you considered us worthy to suffer for your cause. And then it says every day both in the temple courts and from house to house they did not stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Christ. The the words did not stop there means they didn't quit, they didn't give up. Determination. Did they have, you know, here's Ananias and Sapphira and they got trouble from within, and they've got all this pressure and persecution and threats and intimidation and all that coming at them, did they stop? No. Even though it wasn't a perfect environment, even though everything just wasn't falling out just right, they continued to get up every day and do what God had asked them to do. Because if we wait for the perfect conditions if we wait for everything just to fall out just right in our life and then we'll start serving and then we'll start ministering and then we'll start getting our priorities right and then we'll start growing and making Bible study and, and prayer and, and, and getting together with our brothers and sisters a priority that, it'll never happen. Because life just isn't going to, all of a sudden, just everything's just going to fall out. God wants to see a people that are willing to do what He's asked and called them to do, even if the conditions aren't just right. That's what we see happening here in Acts chapter 5. The early church should be such an encouragement to us 2,000 years later. And it should remind us that, that the way we live our lives can be an encouragement to others as well. That that we can be used of God in other people's lives to sort of come alongside of them and, and strengthen them and say, come on, let's keep on going. I know it's hard, but let's not quit. Let's not give up. In my opinion, and I'll close with this, there's only one type of Christian, only one type of Christian, that God can't use. And that's the Christian who quits. That's the Christian who gives up. The Christian who throws in the towel and says, I'm done. Don't give up. Don't quit. Let God build that determination into you and continue to do what God's called you to do. In the good times and in the bad. In season, out of season. Let's let God grow us even corporately as a church to be a church that regardless of the conditions around us and what's happening in the world and in our community or whatever, we just keep getting up every day and as the church, as the oasis, as the people of God in this area, we just continue to do what God's called us to do. That's what brings glory to God. Because God is not just a God who can work and and minister and whatever when everything's just right. God, our God, is a God that can work when things aren't right at all. Everything's wrong. In fact, real quick, I got a minute. This last Sunday, None of you will know (laughs) the obstacles that we had. You know, we planned that special Sunday months ago. And Nicole and I got together and we were with songs, all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's like weeks leading up to that, it was like, this happened. Then that person can't be there. Then this happened. Then that's happening. And if you would have heard her voice on Saturday, she... She calls me up, she says, Jeff, I don't think I can sing tomorrow. I mean, that's that's about how her voice sounded. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> First of all, I'm thinking, are you okay or what? And then she comes Sunday, and obviously, you you who were here, you know it's like a miracle. Her voice was fine on Sunday. And, you know, for us personally, you know, many of you know our daughter's getting ready to have our grandchild. And I told her, I said, you're not going to go on a Saturday night. You're just not. Don't do that to your dad. You know, I'm teasing. What happened? Saturday night. It looks like, you know, I'm like, really? You know. And and I'm saying all that to say that one of the things God, after all these years of being in ministry, you would think, after 30 years of being a pastor, I would have got this by now. God God was saying to Jeff, Jeff, I know it just seems like right now everything is just sort of out of control. Nothing is falling into place. Everything that you envision for this isn't working the way you thought it was going to work. And yet you've got to trust me. You've got to know that I've got this. And come Sunday, if you just trust me, it'll work out because I'm the one that's going to do it, not you. Not Nicole, not the worship team, not not anybody else. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to get the glory for it. So just rest in me, and trust me, and don't get all worked up that this isn't working, and that's not working, and it doesn't look like it's going to work out. And Guess what? Sunday came, and Sunday went, and God did what He always does. He was faithful. He showed up. And once again, he taught Jeff Royce a very valuable lesson. Why do I strive and not just trust God to do what God always does? That even in my own life, or even in the life of our church or ministry sometimes, when it just seems like nothing is working, and and nothing is falling into place, and all these obstacles and things aren't working out, God is like but I'm bigger than all that. And I hope that will encourage you. I don't know what maybe your life is like right now or whatever, but I know this. God is bigger than it all. And God just wants us to trust him and he's got it. He's got it. Let's pray. God, we thank you. That You've got it. That You've got us. That You hold us in Your mighty hands. God, even as we saw Sunday, there's no one greater, no one higher than You, God. No matter what forces are against us, no matter what opposition... No matter what challenges or trials or suffering or anything that we go through. God, you're bigger and greater than it all. And you just ask us to choose to trust you in it all and through it all. And God, that's what the early church was doing. And 2,000 years later, it's no different. That's what this little church here in Chandler is having to do every day and every week. That's what each of us as Christians are being asked by you to do every day of our lives, is just trust you. Trust you in the chaos. Trust you in the confusion. Trust you in in the things that are so out of control sometimes that we wonder, how in the world is is anything going to come of this? And you just ask us to trust a God who's bigger than it all. God, help us to be like those followers of yours in the book of Acts, who no matter what came against them, they didn't allow it to deter them from doing what you called them to do. They went right back to the temple every day. And they proclaimed the name of Jesus. God, give us that tenacity. Give us that determination. Give us that courage to just continue to do what you've called us to do regardless of what's happening around us. Help us, Lord, not to look for that for that perfect season in our lives to come where everything's just going to lay out perfectly and, and then, Lord, then we'll do something. Help us to see, God, that the time is now. We may never have that season where everything just falls out perfectly. So let's by faith just trust you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, we'll see you on...